Welcome, bienvenidos to LatinXYC, where we discuss all things related to U.S. politics from a Latino, Latina, and Latinx perspective. Hola, so my name is Clemencia Herrera, and I am founder of Moira Studio, an advertising agency that works on political and advocacy campaigns that target Latinx. And I am Cecilia Del Cid, environmental and social justice practitioner, an immigrant from Latin America, from Guatemala, community weaver, and also working in media. How is that, amor? Muy bien. ¿Cómo estás tú? Bien. I love the little scarf you got. It's my little extra poncho. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we have a very, very special guest. Very excited to have you. Uh, we have Adrián uh, Reina Chavoya, and Adrián is a queer civil rights strategist and partner at New Currents Collective. Adrián is an immigrant from Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico, and he grew up undocumented in Texas. And there he spent 10 years organizing with immigrant communities at United We Dream, the largest immigrant youth-led organization in the country. And now he lives in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, welcome, Adrian. Bienvenido. Thank you both. Really excited to be here for this conversation today. Yes, us too. Um, so needless to say, Adrian is an expert in the topic of the day. Um, and so who better to discuss this with us today? Um, we're going to be talking about immigration. Hot topic, right? Yes. Hot, hot topic. Um, and it's, it's also a political football, right? And, but really, 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 it's people. We're talking about people, not data, not numbers. We're talking about real life stories, real struggles. And so, you know, let's, let's, let's unpack. There's a lot to unpack, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's start, let's start unpacking. How is it, Adrián, that you see immigration? How is it that you have seen immigration evolve? And what do you think is coming for the future? Mm. Well, thanks again for, for having me. Um, this, um, this topic of immigration is obviously very close and dear to my heart. Um, as I am an immigrant myself, I grew up undocumented. And up until recently, I was able to get my my green card. Um, so that's um, already past that point. But still, through my time at organize, in organizing among immigrant communities, I realized quickly that um, at the end of the day, yes, papers are important. Having legal status is important in a sense of unlocking a sense of possibility for our communities and bringing justice, you know, to much of, of the experience of being an immigrant in this country. But it isn't necessarily like liberation, right? Like we hear that word a lot of about being liberated in the sense of having the ability to self-determine and there are so many, many other bigger barriers that exist that we have to think about, right? Especially when we talk about um, immigrant communities being from so many backgrounds, and especially even in Latin America, right? Like the experiences are so, so, so different from someone like me who's from Mexico 
than from someone who's from Central America or someone who's in South America, right? Like the experiences are tremendously different. Um, So in and of itself, it's a very difficult subject to try to treat as some sort of like monolith, right? Like, Mm -hmm. as you said, it is about people's experiences and lives. It's a difficult thing to treat as a monolith. Now, you asked the question about like looking at it from the into the future. Um, And I think it's really important for us to start like the politics of immigration from the progressive side has to radically change so much resources is going into this question of let's get papers for all the 11 million and while i'm here Mm -hmm. for that right like i'm i'm here for a conversation and for us to push elected officials to do the right thing we really have to be thinking about what's ahead in the context of climate change. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. seeing democratic governments um, getting a little bit shaky. There's so much that's going on in relation to economic policies uh, and trade that is only going to drive up the movement of people around the world. And that is not an issue of whether or not someone has papers. It is an issue of as a society and as people in this and as people, you know, who feel a responsibility. Also, please don't mind my, my kitty. He likes to make I an appearance. I love the kitties. <laughs> I love um, the kitties. But what's our responsibility, right, to people around the world who like migration is just going to be a fact of life. So what should that experience be like, right? What do we need to do from a policy standpoint that guarantees people who are moving around the world the right to move in ways that is respects their, like, respects them, right? And respects their mm-hmm. humanity. Yes. There's right now uh, so many climate refugees around the world and it's, uh, it, well, there's all kinds of refugees around the world, uh, climate, war, and they're still being treated as, you know, for lack of a better word, like lower than others. It's like, it's like, it's not that right. this country is better than the other. It's actually, I live in a part of the, of the world that has, like, I don't know, flooded or that has that that doesn't mean just because i was born in a place that flooded doesn't Mm. mean that i'm not welcome somewhere else or like i'm i'm not better or like i'm not equal to you like i i know i had the bad luck to be born in a place in an island that got flooded you know or i i i was unlucky enough to be born in a place that that nothing grows there anymore so it's like Mm -hmm. you know is, is, is that anybody's fault? Is that even like human well, fault? No, it it's is. Not, it's, it's, it's not. <laughs> it it's like, like, <laughs> I will argue that it is. And I think I, I want to thank Adrian for like expanding the definition, like how the, you know, what people find themselves like. You know, we talk a little bit about like the Democrats and I know we, we want the Democrat progressive branch to, to push forward. We also have to think about the ones who really hold us back, which is conservative moderates and Republicans. But I do think that 
you you introduce a lens that is really uh, more holistic and that is really exploring like you know Clemente you're asking like maybe we just have bad luck and we're flooding but I think historically and scientifically we know that the global north capitalism imperialism and colonialism are responsible for climate change right now and they are responsible for exploitation and extraction of resources and they have drought they have costs they have direct responsibility for the changes our communities around in the global south are suffering so i do think that there is there is something that the, the countries in the global north and i think immigration not only to the united states but if we think of the immigration in the american continent obviously yes this is the place that we will come but mm-hmm. also we have also gone to Europe, and Europe is equally responsible for for what is happening. And I think our communities, um, as 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 voters, uh, are, like and black communities here too, like have bear the brunt of um, the consequences of climate change. Although they have not caused them, we have very low carbon footprints, or like we 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 use very we have very. Uh, intense like low intensity kind of like processes and lives Mm -hmm. and the people who have caused the most are the ones who can afford to like oh i live in a part of the country that floods i'm gonna sell my house and move somewhere else and we continue to leave behind our communities that are lower like low income here that are black and um indigenous and immigrant or people of color and we can't or, or um members of lgbtq anyone who is in the marginalized you know in the margins we continue to live behind and so we need to look at how migration is being pulled from a sense of really exploring who has privilege and who has responsibility yeah. within those systems yeah do you guys bring a, a great point that i also you know, I was just thinking about this, and I I don't know if the people in the middle of the country would be really happy if the people from the coast started moving inwards if <laughs> things got flooded either. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I digress. I you know I very interesting points. So, so I guess my question is. What is the or like? What are the solutions? I know there's not one monolithic solution. So, like, what do we need to start doing? Like, what is what does fundamentally have to change in the progressive ideas about immigration? What do we yeah. need to What do we need to start doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ceci, like you 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 really like contextualize it, right? Like the immigration issue so often has been treated as some sort of like, um, we continue to treat it as some sort of like belonging thing, as if it's some sort Mm of, uh, well, you know, we're a nation of immigrants and uh, it's a spirit of America to welcome immigrants. But that's, that's the farthest, right, that we have seen democratic politics in the mainstream go. Right there, there's two. There's two main things here. One is that not only has the global north and the U.S. right basically created that created the market conditions that have like amassed an entire amount of resources and wealth into this country, right? Like where resources go, that's where people will go. So. Mm-hmm. Democrats and progressives have a responsibility to acknowledge the decades and centuries old 
you know? Um, systems and like activities that the business interests of the United States have created that have forced so many resources to move into this country. And again, it's a question of what responsibility do we have as a society to the extraction of resources from the global south and even you know in the case of black americans in this country right like the literal movement a forced movement of people into stolen lands right and so mm. can we even just begin to reset the way that we're having this conversation to one that is about bringing justice to people that have been impacted by the policy choices of this country Number one. Number mm. two is, para el colmo, you know, you mm. have people that, like, capitalize on the fact that people are trying to come here and make profits from the criminalization of immigrants. Oh, yeah. Locking people up. Private detention centers. Deportation. Like, the, the entire deportation machine, we're talking about a multi-million dollar industry that profits from bodies of people. So again, mm -hmm. in principle, are we willing to get out front and as leaders get in front of communities and say, that's just not the principles that we need to live as as a country. Let's start there. Let's get out of this entire paradigm of like legal or not legal processes. There is no mm -hmm. process. Like it shouldn't be that hard. Like I will tell anyone, like if there was a supposed line that you could get on, like where is this line? Like, where is the line that you're supposed to get in to get into the country the legal way or whatever? The, the, the tools are there. The ability to shift the culture and the way we're having the conversation about immigration is a matter of will, is a matter of making the choice to say we are going to protect people instead of having politics that ignore the issues at hand which for so long for so long both republicans and democrats have contributed to the issue by ignoring it right by ignoring these issues at the root um and then choosing to deal with them at a very surface level so leadership mm -hmm. in this moment means not this moment means like really stepping up and being clear eyed about why we have the crisis that we have today when it comes to migration, treating it as a global thing and actually bringing global leaders together. Like this is not going to be as like like um, as the climate situation exacerbates movement around the world, we are going to need more leadership coming to get visible leadership of people that can say, actually, we migration is a it's always been a matter. It's always been a fact of life. Now it's even more common. Like that's just going to be the way of life, given what's happened, man-made um, climate catastrophe at the end of this century. Right. Like, yeah, we really yeah. only have like 80 years to figure this out before major displacement patterns are occurring. And the last thing we want is people where resources are to be having the politics of, no, I'm going to cross my arms and I don't want anyone to come in here because then what what mm -hmm. world is this then that we're building? Yeah, because it. 
it's not easy decision to move to another country. It's not mm. like, oh, let's just go. You know, it's not like going on vacation. You're picking up and you're leaving everything, your family, the place you were born, your friends, your whole life, your job, it, your career in many times, because, you know, you can't validate engineering or law or medical degrees in other countries. You have to study them all over again. And, and, and learn a new language, get, a, get used to a, new, a completely new place. It's, this is not an easy choice. This is not, you know, something like if, if, if people had the choice, they wouldn't move. You know, mm. they wouldn't go to another place. They would probably stay with their, fam with their families. Maybe some will. But this is not this mass exodus of some countries. It's, being, it's almost being forced uh, upon people. And it's, it's, uh, it, 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 I, I think it's just a matter of, like, people not being able to see it, not, not being able to step in other people's shoes. But the thing is, like, at some point, some, you know, all of us, you know, maybe not us, us, but like at some point in the future, all of us are going to have to be forced to move somewhere, mm. as you said. So it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. I was going to say that, um, that I think I always am, am, when I think of people who leave home, like I think of myself as an immigrant. I came here to I chose to be here. I ha I could have stayed in Guatemala, and I would have had a been alive in Guatemala. I'm there's a cer certain decisions um, that I I had the possibility and the privilege to make to to look for a scholarship, to study abroad, to then then decide. I have not spent one day, and I think I've shared in the past one day out of status in this country, which is a very different. Mm. It's a it's 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 a, it's a journey that has a lot of privilege, a lot of it. And a person who is forced, like the the climate refugees or war refugees, to like to be a refugee or an asylee, um, to live in exile, it's uh, some very different conditions and decisions and energies. I do think that if we are to uh, stop the flux of people in large amounts and. You know, and Adrian mentions like 80 years to kind of like prevent this. I would say we have less than a decade to really cross some thresholds in climate, you know, in the climate catastrophe that will not have a, a that, by which we will have transformed permanently certain ecosystems and places, biomes in, on, on Earth. Um, so we have a lot of like, like pressing dates that we, in, I know that in my lifetime, I will see things that disappear mm -hmm. that they will, there are things that I as an adult um, have seen that my nephews will not have the opportunity to see so that is really powerful and so I think that we have to think about if we are to really deal also from the it's a, a, for immigration from the flocks of people living we have to make sure that people have can have a decent and like an integer like live with integrity and dignity in their home places and if they choose to live for for x y and c reasons then that's a whole different issue and then you can have pathway there is there is you know then we can create this line this this pipeline in which people can decide and and let's face it, if a person from Europe or a person from the United States 
chooses to go live somewhere else, they most likely can pick up their suitcases and go anywhere, pick anywhere in the globe and make a home in that place. We cannot say the same thing from people who live south of the border or people who live in Africa or people who live in Southeast Asia, like mm -hmm. people who live in this global, you know, this mythical line that we have created because there is there is a pattern of extraction and there is a, a clear pattern of colonialism and imperialism. So I think that is important when we think of the of the issue that we have to give a context historically, but also recognize that if we don't want people to come here, we need we citizens of this country who pay taxes and keep the uh, military machinery going, the you know the military industrial complex going, that we are complicit to a degree on yeah. how that is used in other places of the world to yeah. protect corporations, to, you know, we have power, where, where do we put our money? Which, what are these companies doing in those home countries? What, how are their actions? How is mining, pushing, um, you know? Even the clean, even even the, the green revolution is gonna need some rare minerals that are going to be extracted by power and force and continue mm -hmm. to brutalize places. Like, yeah. if you think of lithium, if you think about like, even the, the clean energy industry. So like we are always having to think like what is the actual price that is being paid to allow us to have clean energy here and contamination somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like Adrian said, you know, yes, the US and Europe has some resources, but like there's other places that have lots of resources, but that's okay for, you know, these countries to go in, extract resources, pay. pay nothing to the people that are working in those right. resources. Like, and then they're like, oh, I wonder why they want to seek asylum. <laughs> you know, because like, I'm not paying anything and I'm also causing a civil war. Like, you know, it's like oh, yeah. happened before with those minerals uh, that are going to the phones. Yeah. or diamonds or you know there's just like so many resources that have caused civil war and unrest oh, i can yeah. say that right now oh, quickly that in that in guatemala right now there is a case on which community members in el petén el Estor are fighting against the mine guatemala receives one percent of like the that is what they leave to the country. If then we have, and then we have to deal with any environmental remediation, which most likely exceed what they are leaving. So like Guatemala has some of the most like, um, kind of like <laughs> generous to mining laws in which people's livelihood continues to be destroyed. What is gonna happen when that community is destroyed? They mm -hmm. will migrate. Right, right. Exactly. And where to where there's going to be an abundance of resources. I mean, that that's the that's that's what seems so bizarre to me. Right. Is that like there doesn't seem to be enough principled leadership that is willing to say it like it's supposed to be said is that the U.S. decided to go intervene in countries in South America, up and down the American continent in ways that set them up for success for their business interests. They profited mm -hmm. from that. They profited from the fact that lower wages were available there, less regulation was available there. They, because they couldn't do it in the U.S., right? Like mm -hmm. in many ways you could say that the success of labor organizing in the United States drove these 
multi-million dollar companies overseas and south of the border to open up their shops. And now, you know, it's a very different conversation that we can be having about immigration if we talk about it in the long arc, right? And understanding migration patterns in like the long arc of history rather than like in this moment, right? Like when we choose to get fixated in the moment of now, right? Which is about fear, right? Like that that's what that is. Like you get narrow, narrowly focused on like the thing that's right in front of you. It's easy to prey on people's fears when you're doing that instead of like stepping up and being able to say, hmm, let's look at the last 50 years. What have we done as a country that's causing people to be showing up at the border in the way that they are? And just generally speaking, right? Like I think it's a, it should be just a, bottom line right that like for any anyone who's on the left spectrum of politics to commit like radically commit to to treating people with respect and dignity no one who shows up at the border no one deserves to be incarcerated to be prosecuted with arms and hands as we saw at the border with cbp agents right like that is completely unnecessary and that is simply just keeping business like the deportation industrial complex Mm -hmm. giving it more and more money money that can be being spent on community infrastructure in border town communities you know they've created this massive problem in those southern parts of this country because detention agencies and Customs and Border Patrol, NIs, and all of the all of the systems that that prosecute migration, those are all the employers in the South. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's a multi-year strategy, but it has to start somewhere, and it has to start with honest, honest conversations like the ones we're having here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it feels like. Every administration comes and they promise a lot of things during mm. the campaign and then nothing gets done and or gets stuck somewhere in Congress or, you know, and it's like, is there really going to be an immigration reform? Because I haven't seen it. <laughs> and And also, are we going to, you know, talk about the future of immigration also? What are people like? It seems sometimes that really the only voices from people about immigration reform are uh, the people that live on the border who are pissed off, or the people that you know are it, the the immigrants themselves that are stuck in a, a system trying to you know get it documented or whatever that they're also pissed off. But it's like the rest of the country is just like. You know, and, 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 or, or the voices that say, oh, they're taking our jobs or whatever. But it's like always this like pissed off voices that, you know, that, that just lead us nowhere. But it's like where, you know, what is, what can, what can we as voters, as, uh, as people that are, are involved, that, that could be involved in c- civic rights or, or, you know, politics, what can we, people do because I know that a lot of people are like well whatever I don't know just gonna sit here and watch and this in action 
it's definitely what drives the inaction in D.C. Like, you know, if nobody cares about it, then, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Everybody was so pissed off about the cage, the, ki- the children in the cages for like two months. Mm. And then and then what? And I, those kids are still there. Mm. I, like, what are we what, what you know, what are, what are what is the public supposed to do? Yeah, this is such a <laughs> this is such a big question. I yeah. look, I I obviously, you know, I would be disingenuous if I if I was saying like, um, oh, you know, Republicans and Democrats same thing. Look, in the broader arc, we can come back to that, but I couldn't say that to anyone's face. I mean. Number one thing, if you really care about immigrants, there's clearly a line, period. Mm. Now, how we put pressure on Democrats, there's a lot of work that we need to do there. I was 20 years old (laughs) when I remember the then uh, majority leader, uh, Harry Reid from Nevada, told Jorge Ramos, um, that he was going to bring up the DREAM Act up for a vote in 2010 prior to the elections. No matter what the election outcome was, he was going to bring up the DREAM Act for a vote. And um, it was the 2010 midterms. Democrats got beat. I mean, you all remember that, right? Like, Almost, yeah. oh, my yeah. goodness. So, But it was between 2008 and 2010 Democrats had a trifecta. They controlled the House. They controlled the Senate. They controlled with better numbers. than Like now. Did. Yeah, exactly. Like now. Exactly <laughs> like right now. So um, it fa- the DREAM Act failed the Senate, um, even though, you know, most of these Democrats were already, they had already lost their, like, their seats, right? We're talking about... Uh, I just can't remember, can't forget like Hagen from um, Kagan or Hagen or like what's her name from Missouri also lost her seat. McCaskill, I think is her name. Um, And it was so disappointing knowing that they had all the power. Everything was there for them to pass the DREAM Act uh, back in 2010 it would have been such a big difference in people's lives and they had all the tools to do it. We then pushed Obama, right, to like enact the Deferred Action for Child Arrivals program. We pushed for legalization again in 2013. We pushed again for DAPA in 2014. We were up again on the DREAM Act in 2017, even though like it was Trump in the White House. like. Our communities are doing the work. Let's just say that. Mm. Like, our communities are showing up every single day, advocating and fighting back against anti-immigrants and putting pushing where it needs to be pushed. But it is very disheartening that when Democrats need to have the will to show up for our people, that they mm. don't. And mm-hmm. they, today is and a we perfect show up for example. them. Big and we time. continue to show up. Yeah. And we show and, up for them. We vote for them. I know. Until we don't anymore. <gasps> until we don't anymore. I mean, and people begin 
to feel like, you know, I, I don't think that they particularly switch to the other side. Some do. But I think what happens is a lot of apathy in which you yes. feel like really your boat yes. does not have any impact. Yes. And I think that is the danger that we're facing yeah. right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, like Democrats are so invested. And, and I love, right, the investment into like, oh, we need to like make sure to show that democracy can work. Show me it works. Show me it works. Like our communities yeah. need to see leadership in order to believe in democracy. But when you when you when you go on national television during the elections and you're like, yeah, I love Latinos and we are going to get immigration reform done and we are going to stop what Trump did all the, like Trump did during his term in, in during his presidency, like you campaign on our issues and then you don't deliver. What are we codifying into people's minds about the type mm -hmm. of leadership that they can expect? Now, I've always heard Democrats, Democratic strategists come to me and say, well, the issue of immigration is really not that big an issue and stuff. And I'm like, I mean, I, I think like, yes, listen, we don't live single issue lives. I understand that. But The issue of immigration is an issue that for such a long time and our people understand the racist undertones in the way that Republicans talk about the issue of immigration. So this isn't just about like, oh, you know, it's not really an issue for a lot of Latinos or it doesn't rank as high of an issue, which is why we don't touch it, is that by addressing the issue of immigration, you again, it comes to the first part of this entire conversation we were having is you're actually signaling and you're letting our communities know that you that the tent that they're being invited to participate in is wide and our communities are invited there that's the difference and that's what needs to click and again you know i don't know if in the short term things will change i am worried too about that point you were saying of like people feeling disillusioned And to that, I mean, as an organizer, Apathy. like, I can't, we can't lie to people. Like, I'm not going to go out yeah. there and be like, oh, no, you shouldn't be disillusioned. Like, we, there's always something we can do. But then the Democrats shouldn't be surprised when there's, like, different efforts, right? When we begin to see rifts in the party and when you begin to see, like, a lack of unification, not because people don't want to get in line, but because they've lost faith that the leadership yeah. of the party is willing to go to bat for us. Yeah. And the thing is, and, and I, I think we've, I've said it before, I sound like a broken record. Immigrants are your sales funnel because those are the future voters of the U.S. And they will remember how they were treated. Their families will remember how they were treated. The families that are already here will remember how their family members were treated. So take care of like how your future voters think of you and think of the promises that you're making and think of how they're being treated. It's kind of like, you know, people coming into, you know, uh, some sort of like open house and then they're like, get out of here. <laughs> and then they're yeah. like, but, but I wanted to buy the house. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, they will remember, people will remember. And this is such an important point because like, you know, as you said before, this is not a, 
short-term thing. This is a long-term thing. And this is also looking 50 years back and looking, looking 50 years forward. You know, as a party, where are we getting our new voters? Mm. You know, it's like, let's, let's, let's try to lure, you know, the, the, the people in with great policies and a great way, an inclusion in, in it's like, this is, this is where we need to work. This sales funnel, this is where we need to work that. Mm. <laughs> but I think we also need to acknowledge that we are operating from a, an assumption that democracy is, 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 is out of like the, is out of the pockets of, of corporate or like big money or dark money. And I think that continues to be moved and funded by very, very specific interests of people who have been putting the strategies into place for decades ahead. Like this is, you know, there is it's a strangle and a power grab. And I don't think that we could be naive to think that um, to ignore that kind of like it's there in the shadows. It's always there. We have to acknowledge it. We have to bring it to the front because, um, the system is working exactly like it has been designed to work. And we, if we think of it as being broken, we, we think that we can fix it. And if we think of it as like it was designed in this way and it's working perfectly as it was designed, then we can look for that point of inflection where it can begin to be dismantled. Oh, yeah. But I think we have to really um, acknowledge that there is... The DC six, the divisions, the infighting, um, while the Republican Party sits there and, and they are not contributing, right? Like they, before, like, you know, the last amnesty happened during the Reagan years and also during the Reagan years, that a lot of many other things that caused the reasons that we're here right now having this conversation with right. deregulation, um, you know, a lot of like the trade agreements, like all those things began, began to happen there. So yeah. I think that if we just think also, keep in mind that the system is actually working as designed because it's designed to make a very specific set of people a lot of money. Yeah. And those people are also the ones campaigning and loving and keeping the the, the facade of democracy mm-hmm. uh, standing. Yeah. I yeah, I so agree with this. And and like when we like I think that a a big issue of like we are just gonna have to innovate on democracy mm. and it's just from like a number standpoint it's gonna be latinx communities that are gonna have to like show up like it's gonna have to be from our communities that the leadership steps up to reimagine what democracy looks like in the context of a whole different world because, like, as Cecilia, yeah. you're, as you're saying, right, like, yes, like, look at how undemocratic the Senate as an institution is. Look mm-hmm. how undemocratic the Electoral College as an institution is, right? Mm-hmm. Look how undemocratic our means of drawing, electo- like, um, congressional maps is in districts. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why white supremacists and like right-wing fascists are able to control and have the degree of influence that they have because that's exactly that. The system is designed to allow them to hold power. For so many years, they have been successful at codifying their long game of remaining in power, 
of continuing to to fight for their policies like we need an equal if not we need a a I don't even want to say equal because we're not even at that level. We're like on a level where we're invested in actually protecting people and like governing, right? Like knowing how to govern. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, at this time, like, you know, I've spent a lot of time with like leaders in, in the immigrant rights space. And there's a lot of conversations about what's the future? What's the future? The future really is like, yo, we are immigrants from all over the world we gotta be thinking like well how are we gonna govern like how are we gonna like show up in a way and what how are we fighting for pro-democracy and true representative democracy that at the end of the day will pay off because if you think about it all of the policies we're talking about here are are popular like, no, I, I guarantee you, I mean, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I guarantee you that most people are not here to, most people are not okay with people making profits from the criminalization and incarceration of any individual. Mm. Most people are probably not going to be okay when you help them understand that, like, the reason why they're feeling the pressure to move into this country or into other parts of the world is because of climate disasters or economic disasters or like political instability. Most people at the end of the day at their core will be pro figuring out a way that protects people without hurting people. So I I believe in that aspect of humanity, but unfortunately we have a a democratic system, right? That's been hijacked by, by, suppression been hijacked by the wrong values that just does not allow that to flourish so if we're serious about like making radical change and like having something that will like bring people along we gotta be having conversations about democracy and you know Mm. i'm sometimes i get worried that there's not enough like latinx leaders that are like out in the front lines preaching this and preaching this to people and you know, it tends to be kind of like a highly technical thing that like folks understand or not. But hey, our communities come from countries where like we've had to throw down. <laughs> we've, yeah. had, we've had to like step up to power, right? Like we've had to like deal with the consequences of corruption, with the consequences of like organized crime, right? Like Mm-hmm. Yes, there a lot of that still remains in our countries, but there's a history of resilience, of a history of like we always see it through. And so yeah. th- I have hope. That's what brings me hope, right? Is that as long as we don't lose the belief that it is possible to build a society and a system of government that can truly work in service of our people, and that is there to protect us, not to harm us. As long as that belief is out there, I believe that as long as we're training, as long as we're equipping the generations that are coming ahead with the tools that they need to be able to step up and govern, our communities will prevail. But you know, these systems don't come, uh, don't come right. Like they don't just fall down, right? Like they're gonna kick back. And so that's what we're witnessing. That's what Trump 
Trumpism represents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there is a history of re resilience, and as you said, there's a history of resistance. There's a history of us taking down leaders because we didn't like them. So we got it in us, and we just got to come out of our shells and, and just get it done. Right? right. <laughs> Reimagine. And this is a conversation, you know, when we were talking, like, we, we're going to talk about this. Like, how do, what does it mean to reimagine? future, governing, democracy, power. In, yeah, mm. power from a sense of like that is in truly inclusive and mm. um, of, you know, undignified in which we all, no matter what your identities are, you can still thrive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 All right. <laughs> and so we've run out of time. I mean, we could just, I could keep talking about this for hours, but there's so much to un unpack about this. Uh, Adrián, thank you so much. Uh, such an awesome Muchísimas conversation. Gracias. Thank you Whoa. for sharing your knowledge and your hope and your passion. Uh, I can I can see it right through it. <laughs> um, it comes through the screen. And uh, um, hey, guys out there, give us a shout. Let us know what you think. We have... Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, LatinXYZ Pod. And uh, my email is clem at latinxyzpod.com. Uh, let me know what you think, uh, what you thought of Adrian. And uh, if you want to give rating. Adrian a shout, what's, uh, what, are your, what are your handles, Adrian? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, just really thankful to the two of you for having me today. What an amazing uh, way to wrap up a Wednesday. Um, yeah, and also just want to say, um, if you want to keep up, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Isaias Reina. Um, and if you want to email me, it's Adrian at newcurrents.co. Um, so thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.